we've been going through, uh, we begin in the series on the life of Moses here. We've come to the end of chapter 2, beginning of, of chapter 3, a very familiar passage of scripture. But as I was meditating on the scripture, I was reminded of another scripture that comes to us from First John chapter 2 and verse 15. The Bible says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You say, what does that have to do with anything? It reminds me when I was a little boy growing up in that little small country church uh, in the country town that we lived in. There were several churches uh, around the area that we would fellowship with. And every Sunday, all those churches would gather at one of the churches for a uh, community-wide worship and, and, and celebration. And one of the things that I particularly liked about um, this, this worship service is there was one church that had a really good choir, particularly really good choir. And I would love that when they came or we went with there, they would sing one song in particular that I just loved. And it was a song, This World Is Not My Home. This world is not my home. I'm just passing by my home and all my treasures is laid up on high. The angels are beckoning me from heaven's open door. And I can't. And when the lead singer would say, I can't, the choir would say, can't feel, feel at home. And man, that was just sounded so good. And I can even hear it now. Can't feel, feel at home. This world is not my home. I thought about that because in verse 22, when Moses named his son Gershom, see that? Chapter 2, verse 22. When Moses named him his son Gershom, what Moses was saying is this land is not my home. Remember, he's in Midian now. Far, far away from his people, from Egypt, from everything he'd known. For Gershom means an alien there, right? And it was a constant reminder that this land was not his homeland. He says that he named him Gershom and because I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Even among friends, even among his family, he was not at home. This was true of Moses, but beloved, this was also true of the nation of Israel, right? This is, a, this is a picture, a snapshot, not just of Moses, but this is the picture of the nation of Israel as they are languishing in Egypt. They are Goshen, strangers, sojourning in a foreign land. But it's not just true of Moses and Midian. It's not just true of Israel and Egypt. But, beloved, this is true of you and I if you and I are in Christ this morning. This is the reality in which we live this morning. The reality in which we live is Psalms 137 and verse 4, where the Bible says, How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? 
It's what Moses is saying. It's what the nation of Israel is saying that they're languishing in Egypt. But beloved, I want to suggest to you this morning that this is what we say. Lord, how am I supposed to sing your song in this land in which I am a foreigner, a sojourner in this strange place? Why? Because this world is not my home. This is our anthem. This world is not my home. And yet and still we are in the world, aren't we? We are in the world every day, beloved. We are in it. Even though we are not to be of this world all week, if you're honest, you're just immersed in it. You're immersed in the sights of it. You're immersed in the sounds. You're immersed in the smells. And it draws us, doesn't it? It calls to us all day long. There is this siren call. Come and enjoy. Come and partake. Come and get your fill. And it seems like on every turn, you just can't get away from it. And beloved, that is why that we have one of the greatest blessings that God has given us is the community of the saints on Sunday morning. Because when we come into the community of saints, into the church on Sunday morning, it is a reminder to us, at least it should be a reminder to us, that we are not of this world. You come in here, we sing different songs. You come in here and you come to the Lord's table and you're reminded that we eat a different food and we drink a different drink and we love in different ways. So we are sojourners, we are foreigners. And I suggest to you this morning, this ain't even the sermon, but this got, this got me so full this week. It is easy to become comfortable in the world. It is easy to become comfortable in this world. And beloved, we become so comfortable in the world that we begin to feel more comfortable in the world than we are in the church. And you get uncomfortable coming in here because you're so comfortable out there. And then you know what happens? You know what happens? And beloved, just a side note. <laughs> then you begin to criticize the church because the church is off. And it's not the church that's off. You're off. And so you want the world, you want the church to become more like the world so that you can be comfortable here. And that is just a testimony, beloved, not so much that the church has to change. That's a testimony to the fact that you need to change. That your heart is so in tune with the things of the world that you have become to think that's right. 
And how we are here is wrong. The fact of the matter is, beloved, it is easy to become comfortable in the world. And the church becomes a strange thing. But I want to suggest to you this morning, beloved, that God's people find this place home. And it's the world all week that looks and sounds and smells strange. Because this world is not my home, beloved. And what can easily happen is that the foreign land is not foreign anymore. And I want to suggest to you this morning that this is what began to happen to Moses. He had named himself his son Gershom because he was a stranger in a foreign land and no doubt However, that Moses was beginning to feel at home in Midian. Even though he had named his son Gershom, it had been many years. I mean, by the time we get again, there's a lot of time lapses going on like we saw last week. By the time we get to chapter 3, it's almost some 40 years again that has passed. Moses has been nearly 40 years in the land of Midian. Forty years. It's a long time. It's a long time, beloved. And in Midian, life had begun good. Life had begun to be good. Had a wife. Had children. Had an occupation. He even got along well with his in-laws. Pastor Phil, that's a testimony, isn't it? <laughs> Amen, Reverend Barry. He even got along with his in-laws. Life was good in Midian. The dreams, the dreams of a revolution and the overthrow of Pharaoh and the redemption of his people out of Egypt. Well, that was a youthful fantasy by now. That was a child's dream. And as the poet says, what happens to a dream deferred? Dries up like a raisin in the sun, like a raisin in the desert of Horab. And like some of us, beloved, Moses probably now had grown contented in this foreign land. The Bible says that he was content to dwell there. But his people, his people Israel, were not. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that God was fully aware of that. And while Moses was getting more and more comfortable in Midian, the children of Israel were groaning and moaning and crying out to God all the more. See that in verse 23? The children of Israel cried out to God for deliverance, 
from oppression in Egypt. And the Bible tells us in verse 24 and 25 that when they cried out to God, four things happened. Four things happened, real quick. Four things happened, okay? The first thing that happened is God heard. They cried out, God heard, and God heard their groaning. Why did God hear their groaning, beloved? Because Psalm 34 and 15 tells us that the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and, he, and his ears toward their cry. He hears you. He hears you. You may not think he hears you, but he hears you. I mean, you may have to groan and moan for quite a while, but don't ever think that he doesn't hear. He hears you. He hears the cries and the groans of his people. He hears you when you declare to him that you are among strangers in a strange and foreign land. He hears you when you say, how can we sing this song, O Lord? He hears you. The first thing that happens is that when they cried out, God heard. Second thing that happened is the Bible says, God remembered. See that? God heard, he heard their cries, and then God remembered. He remembered the covenant that he had made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He remembered his word. He remembered because that's what God does. God remembers. God remembers. Now, I don't want you to get it confused when you think of God remembers that God remembers like you and I remember. God doesn't remember like you and I remember. We have to remember because we forget. But when the Bible says God remembers, it means that God has not forgotten, that he never forgets. It's like when I go to the store and I come back from the store and my wife said, did you remember the eggs? What she really means to tell me, I see you didn't forget the eggs. No, I didn't forget the eggs. You don't have to ask me if I remembered. I didn't forget. So it is with God. So the Bible tells us over and over again that he remembered Noah. He remembered Hannah. He remembered Rachel. The cupbearer, remember what was going through Joseph? The cupbearer forgot Joseph. But on the cross, Jesus said he would remember the thief. Why? Because God doesn't forget his promises. God doesn't forget his word. When it says he remembered, it means he never forgot. He never forgot. So first thing that happened, God heard. Second thing that happened, God remembered. Third thing that happened, what did the Bible say? God saw. God saw. He remembered his covenant. He heard their cries. He looked upon them. And he saw their affliction. He saw what his people were enduring under the whip and under the foot and under the oppression, under the yoke of the Egyptians. Why? Because his eyes are in every place, beloved. There is no affliction of yours that the Lord doesn't see. There's no burden that you're carrying that the Lord doesn't see. There's no place that you go. There is no place that you can be 
in which the eyes of the Lord are not upon you. His eyes are upon his people and he sees their affliction. He sees what you're enduring. And not only does he hear, not only does he remember, not only does he see, but then the last thing the Bible says is what? God knew. Four things happened when they cried out. But that's the same thing that happened when you cry out to the Lord. It's four things that happened. God immediately got, got, got remembers, got hears, got sees. God knew. God knew. God knew. God knew what needed to be done. He always knows. You know what needs to be done? It was time for Moses to come home. It was time for Moses to come home. It was time for Moses to be reminded that Moses, you were not created for Midian. You were not ordained for the things of this world. It's time for you, Moses, to come home. But before Moses could go home to his people, you know what Moses first had to do? He had to come home to God. That's really, that's, that's really the first issue, isn't it? Whenever we have to come home, whenever it's time to make that turn, whenever it's, it's time, when you come to an end of yourself, the first thing you have to do before you go back to mommy, before you go back to daddy, before you go back to church, you have to come to God. Before Moses goes back to Egypt, before Moses goes back to Israel, Moses has to come to God. Before he goes back to mommy, his brothers, and his sisters, he's got to come to God. God said, Moses, it's time to come home. And that coming home is coming to me. Moses by this time, the Bible says he had become a shepherd, right? Chapter 3, verse 1, he was a shepherd. He was, he was a shepherd over the flock of his father-in-law. He was a keeper of his father's sheep. This once, get this, get this, this once prince of Egypt who had men and women serving him hand and foot was now a servant of sheep. This prince of Egypt who at one time had, had slept on the finest silk that Egyptians had to offer, was now sleeping under the stars on a desert floor. You talking about a humbled man. You talking about a man who was brought down from his lofty perch you talking about someone who had been humbled. This was Moses. And now, now was the time that the purposes of God would be made plain to him. And that being made plain First, he had to come to know who God is. Knowing God. This is going to be the, this, this, this is a sermon now, okay? This is, 
This is the first part, okay? So just start right now. This is where the sermon starts, right here. All right, Bob, this is where we start. Okay? Knowing God. Knowing God. That's the that's, that's, that's sermon here. Moses got to come home. He got to come home. And in coming home, he comes to know God. And this is part one. Okay, because there's a lot of God in this text. And there's a lot of knowledge of God in this text. And Moses is going to learn who God is. He's going to learn the nature and the attributes of, of, of God and all that he needs to know about God. Because you do understand that up to this point, Moses had never had an experience with God. There's nothing in the text up to this point that gives us any inclination that Moses knew who God was. God, yes, had been orchestrating his life as he does all of our lives, even from birth. And God had known him. And God had called him even from the womb. But up until this point, Moses didn't know that. He didn't know who God was. Yes, yes, I'm sure. As he is in Egypt being raised by his Hebrew mother and seeing his, 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 his Hebrew brothers and sisters, he knew that they worshipped a God. But he was raised to be an Egyptian. Remember last week we saw that he was raised in Egyptian culture. He was raised in the finest of Egyptian education. And therefore, God had never spoken to Moses. He had never gave Moses the impression that he was Moses' God. But as we come to chapter 3, all that is going to change. Because God is going to reveal some very important things about himself to Moses. And they are going to change Moses and change everything. couple things, there's three things actually that God is going to show Moses in this, in this text. Three things that we need to be reminded about God in this text. And the first one is that most, God is going to show Moses that God is highly exalted. That God, Yahweh, Jehovah, is a highly exalted God. And how does he learn that God is highly exalted? He learns that God is highly exalted by first, by where he meets God. And the second one, by who he meets as God. The first thing he knows, he's going to learn that God is highly exalted by where he meets God. And where does he meet the Lord? The Bible says he meets God on the mountain of God. When Moses comes to Mount Horeb, actually we know it better as Mount Sinai. Same thing, Horeb, Sinai, the same mountain. Horeb was a region around and actually the mountain itself became known more properly as Mount Sinai. This mountain here, Mount Sinai, is the mountain of God. The Bible calls it the mountain of God. Why? Because it is the mountain of God's covenant revelation. It is the mountain of God's word-giving self-revelation. This is the place where Moses would meet God. This is the place where he would bring the nation of Israel back to so that they could meet their redeeming and covenant 
keeping God. This is the place where they would hear from God, hear his commands. This is the place where they would hear his promises and hear of his covenant faithfulness, beloved. There are many, many mountains in the Bible that are significant in the Bible. There's Mount Carmel with Elijah. You remember the incident with Elijah on Mount, Mount Carmel. There's Abraham on Mount Moriah and the incident with his son Isaac. There's David on Mount Gerizim. But beloved, there is in the Bible no more significant mountain than Mount Sinai. For this is the mountain of God. Where God came down. And Moses met him. What do the mountains remind us, beloved? These mountains remind us that God is a highly exalted God. For even when God came down to meet Moses, Moses had to go up. He had to go up to the mountain to meet God. Why? Because God is not like you, Moses. God is highly exalted. And even when God condescends so that you might know him, you still must understand that he is a God most high. He is a God most high, beloved. You still have to go up. This is what the psalmist says, right, in Psalm 121 and verse one, that I will look up to the hills from which comes my help. My help comes from the Lord. Why? Because no matter how we think of God, we need to understand that he is God most high, that he is God exalted. And even though, beloved, we bow our heads, we don't ever look down on God. God is exalted. We lift our hands up. We send our prayers up. Not because God is not here, but it reminds us that he is exalted, that he is high, and that he is worthy of our praise. We always, beloved, look up to Moses learned, he's learning, he's learning that this God who was going to call him is a highly exalted God, not only by where he meets God, he's got to go up into the mountain, but also who he meets. He meets the angel of the Lord, doesn't he? Even when God condescends, he is still exalted. Even when he comes down to talk to Moses, God is not a man comes as the angel of the Lord. This is not some mere man that calls out to Moses, beloved, but this is Yahweh. In fact, this is not just some angel of the Lord. This is not Gabriel. This is not Michael. This is the angel, the angel of Yahweh. In fact, it literally says, this is 
the angel Yahweh. The angel Yahweh. God come as this angel. Theophany, an appearance of God. This will not be somebody speaking for God. You know, that's what Gabriel did, right? Gabriel comes along and he says, I speak on behalf of God. I got a message from God. This is what Michael does when he comes to minister. He comes and he speaks on behalf of God. Michael and Gabriel do not speak for themselves. They speak on behalf of God. This angel here is not speaking on behalf of God. This angel speaks as God. Because this is Yahweh. This is God's preferred way of coming to his people in the Old Testament. Beloved, if you read the Old Testament over and over again, you'll see some 67 times the angel of the Lord comes and reveals himself to certain people at certain times to speak to them the word concerning God. A message directly from God, God speaking himself. It was, it was the angel, this angel came to Abraham in Genesis chapter 16, again in Genesis chapter 22, and over and over again. When God comes to speak to Moses, he doesn't come as Moses, but he is still exalted, beloved. He is still exalted, and he has to come. He has to come. He has to come in this way. He has to come in this way because Genesis chapter 33 and verse 20 reminds us, right, that no one can see God and live. And so even to Moses, even to the one that the Bible says that Moses knew God face to face, that glory and majesty of God and highly exaltation of God is still veiled. He's veiled as an angel. Moses will be able to handle the conversation with an angel. And still he's going to be changed. The Bible says no one is going to be able to handle a conversation directly with God. Face to face like that, beloved. So he doesn't come to Moses fully revealed as God. He comes only as Moses can take him. He comes as an angel, and he comes as a bush. But you know what the good news is? The good news is, is that he comes. Do you hear what I'm saying? The good news is, is that he comes. However he comes, he comes. He who is highly exalted looks upon you and looks upon me and he comes. Doesn't ignore the hearing the cries of his people. He comes. He doesn't ignore the groaning and the moanings of his people. He comes. He won't let you languish in that foreign and strange land. He has called you for a purpose and he comes. Moses. He came to Moses, this angel. He came to Moses in this bush. 
He sees us, beloved. He sees you in your lostness. And He comes. He sees you in your captivity to sin. And He comes. And when He comes, beloved, if it is really God who comes, like this is really God who came to Moses, if it is really God who comes, then not only will you know that it is God who is highly exalted, but this God will be indescribable. If it's really God who comes, if it's really God who comes, you're going to struggle for words. You're going to struggle to describe because our God, highly exalted, is also this God indescribable. And the Bible says in verse 2 of chapter 3, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the, and, be, and behold, the bush was burning, and yet it was not consumed. This burning bush. You know, there's few things in the Bible that are as memorable as this. I mean, you can stop the average person on the street and say, are you familiar with Moses and the burning bush? There are a few things in the Bible that are as memorable as this, beloved, and this here is as memorable as it gets. Because I want you to understand something this morning. As Moses goes up into this mountain and he sees this, this burning bush, and he sees this bush that the Bible says is on fire, but is not consumed. It's burning, but it's not consumed. Now, nothing, nothing overtly miraculous has happened in Moses' life up to this point. Nothing overtly miraculous. We look back and we know that God was providentially orchestrating the waters so that that, 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 uh, that basket that he was in would go and make its way down to Pharaoh's daughter. We know that that was, that was God providentially orchestrating that. But Moses was a little baby. He didn't know anything was happening. Nothing, nothing on the miraculous order has happened in Moses' life up to this point. But once the miracles start, beloved, they going to come fast and furious. Now, I don't want you to miss that, beloved. I don't want you to miss that because God may take his time. He may take his time to work in your life. He may take his time to call you unto himself. It may be 40, 50 years before you actually get a vision of who God is. But once God starts working in your life, the work comes fast and furious. He doesn't stop. He doesn't stop. And if you are attuned to it, and if you are looking, beloved, he moves in bunches. In bunches. Moses is almost 80 years by now. God hadn't done anything really spectacular in his life yet. But from now on, the spectacular is not going to stop. It is not going to stop. It's not going to stop. This is, this is what it is like work, walking with God. This is, what, this is what it is to walk with God, beloved. You walk close enough with 
God, what you're going to have is a string of experiences that are often inexplicable and indescribable. You walk closely with God. I mean, I mean, just think about this. Moses is going to come down to the mountain, and how do you explain a fire that's in a bush but not on the bush? How do you explain a fire that's in the bush but it's not on the bush? How are you going to explain a bush that is burning but it is not burning up? same way that disciples were confounded when they were on the boat with Jesus in the midst of a storm. And when Jesus calmed the storm, the disciples said in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 27, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the seas Obey him. How do you describe it? How do you describe it, beloved? Given this morning, if I got you up here, could you really describe your salvation? I mean, do you actually really have the words to, to talk and describe what God has done in your life? They asked the blind man that. Tell us what happened to you. And he says, I don't know. All I know is I once was blind, but now I see. That's the best I can do. Because this is inexplicable. Salvation, beloved, is indescribable. And the reason it's indescribable is because when you're trying to describe your salvation, what you're really trying to describe is God. Oh, yeah, I can describe all the things that I've done. I can describe how I stopped doing this and how I started doing this and how I stopped doing this and how I started doing this. But when you begin to ask me, I don't want to know what you did. Tell me what God has done. And all I can tell you is I had a hard heart, but now I got a soft one. Want to see? All I can tell you is that in my ears, I couldn't hear a thing, but now I hear what the Spirit of the Lord wants to, is saying. Can you hear it? Before, I couldn't see nothing but my own flesh and sinfulness. But now, I behold the beauty of Christ. Can you see him? There he is. He's right there. It's indescribable. It's inexplicable. For those who walk with the Lord, walk in a series of inexplicable, undescribable experiences. This is why it's hard to explain this fire, because this fire is God. And how do you explain God? So how do you know this fire is God? Well, because this fire does what God does. See that? Verse 3. This fire does what God does. What does the fire do? Well, the first thing the fire does, it compels Right? It compels. Right? Moses said, I will turn aside. I will turn aside and see this great sight. Why this bush is not burned. That's what fire does, right? It compels us. 
I guarantee you, if there was a fire across the street, the church would empty. Because everybody wants to know. They want to see the fire. That's why we got, that's why we got traffic jams on, on the highway all the time. It's not always that the roads are closed, beloved. It's that people are stopping. And the whole time, I'm back in the back. I said, please don't stop. Just keep going. Just keep going. And then when I get up, I slow down. That's why they call them fireworks. Compelling. You want to see it. You got to see it. Moses, the Bible says, I have to turn aside and see this thing. Because fire compels. That's how God is, brethren. God is compelling, beloved. He is compelling. His love is compelling. I just got to see it. His mercy is compelling. His grace is compelling. His, his goodness is compelling. Everything, everything about the Lord Jesus Christ drew people to him. Everywhere he went, there was a crowd. Why? Because the Lord was compelling. Everybody wanted to turn aside and to see this thing. To see this man from Galilee. Now, everything about Jesus drew him, drew people to him. And it still does, beloved. The more you hear him, the more you want to hear him, the more you see him, the more you want to see him, the more you love him, the more you want to love him. And people who don't want Jesus are people who have not seen Jesus. People who don't love Jesus are people who have not met Jesus. Because if you meet him, and if you see him, all you're going to be singing is more love, Jesus. More love to thee. This is my earnest plea on bended knee. More love, O Christ. More love, O Christ. More love to thee. You can't help yourself. You're going to turn aside because you want to see him. Because that's what fire does. It compels you. But not only does fire compel, you know what fire also does? You guessed it. It repels. Yes, it does. Because the closer you get, the hotter it is. The closer you get, the hotter it is. And very soon, you're trying to navigate a safe distance. It's compelling. I'm coming to it. But the closer you get, and soon now, you're trying to figure out, how do I navigate a safe distance? Those of us and those of you who've ever been out to the Fowler's house on the day at the, down in Thomaston on the, uh, the day after Thanksgiving, right? You go out there for the bonfire. You want to talk about a compelling fire. And yet the whole time you're sitting around that fire, what are you trying to do, Phil? 
You're trying to navigate how you can get close enough so that you can cook the marshmallow but not burn your face. You want the marshmallow to cook. So you got to get close. But you know that the closer you get, you get, the hotter your face becomes. And it's a, it's a dance, isn't it, beloved? It's a dance. I see Philip and his kids doing it every year. They're doing the dance. No matter how compelling you and I think God is, and beloved, he is compelling, there is still a burning holiness in him. There is still an otherness. There is still a separateness in him. For our God is, the Bible says, a consuming fire. And no matter how compelling God is, sinful men and women, this God who is indescribable is also unapproachable. God spoke to Moses when Moses got to the bush. And he said, Moses, Moses, called his name twice, Exodus chapter 3 and verse 4. Moses, Moses. Now, you know, that's interesting. He calls his name. He calls him by name. Why? So there is no ambiguity here. This is not an ambiguous call. This is an effectual call. Moses, Moses. Not like Moses didn't understand. He called him by his name, his given name. He heard and he knew it was God who was calling him. Moses, Moses. It's a factual call. It is a specific call. He wasn't calling Gershom. He wasn't calling Jethro. He wasn't calling Sephora. He was calling Moses. And he called Moses by name. It's a factual call. It is a specific call. And it is an irresistible call, beloved. There is not Moses. Moses is not on that mountain. And God says, Moses, Moses. And Moses says, oh, no, I ain't got no time for that. Because when God calls you, he calls you by name. It's specific. And when he calls you, he calls you effectually. Oh, he's going to get through, and you're going to know that he's calling you. And when he calls you, it is going to be an irresistible call. Because the only response you're going to have is the same response of Moses. Here I am. Here I am. Here I am. And when Moses responded, God gave him two directives, didn't he? Two directives. Right? Two directives. Don't come near. And take off your sandals. I know it's a compelling fire. But don't you get too close. Don't come near. God is holy. We are not. God is righteous. We are not. And no matter how well you think you know God, you and I have to always remember that God is not like us. Moses, don't come near. And in fact, where you stand, right there, take off your sandals. Take off your sandals. Because you are in a place 
like no other place on the earth. You are on a place where God is. You are in a place where the holiness of God and the perfection of God and the power of God is not just in this bush, but it is on this mountain. Take off your sandals. When you come into the presence of God, beloved, you come somewhere different. Holy ground is not ordinary ground. Holy ground is separate ground. Holy ground is distinct ground. Holy ground is God's ground. And anyone who comes into the presence of God You don't come on your own terms. You come as God says come. You come as God says come. And God told Moses, the only way you're coming is that you're taking off your shoes and you're acknowledging right now that I am God and you're not. Come home, Moses. Before you come home, you got to come to God. You got to come know God. Now, beloved, in a, in a crowd like this, a church like this, I know, I know that there are people here this morning who need to come home to God. This God right here, this God in this, in this text, this God of Moses on uh, Mount Sinai, this God of the covenant God of Abraham, Isaac, and and Jacob. This God who is holy, who has created you, who has sustained you, this God, you are hearing him and you need to come home to God. But I want to make sure you understand something. That the only way you're going to come home to God is you have to acknowledge that you know who he is. And who is this God? Well, beloved, if you're going to know this God, and the Bible tells us, that you're going to have to know Jesus. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 18, no one has ever seen God, not even Moses, the only God who was at the Father's side. He, Jesus Christ, has made him known. You do understand that this highly exalted God that Moses met on Mount Sinai In Christ, the highly exalted God has come down. He has come down. He has come down. Understand this, beloved. God does not require his people to go up to the mountain anymore. You don't have to go up to the mountain because, and this is absolutely amazing, the mountain has come down. God in Christ, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 19, God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. In other words, beloved, that highly exalted God on that mountain has come down from the mountain. In Christ Jesus. Came down in love, came down in mercy. In Christ, God came down. Down. And that inexplicable God that Moses met, well, in Christ, the inexplicable 
gets explained. The inexplicable gets explained. Whatever you need to know about God is explained in Jesus. That's all, that's all, that's all, that's all. You want to know God? You got to know Jesus for in Christ Jesus, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. God has made himself known in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6. For God who said, let the light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. And where is that knowledge? In the face of Jesus Christ. You want to know God, that God who is highly exalted, that God who is inexplicable, that God has made himself known in Christ Jesus, and Christ Jesus exegetes God for us. He makes God plain. You want to know him? You got to know Jesus. For when Christ, the highly exalted, came down, and Christ, the inexplicable, has been explained, and in Christ, the unapproachable, has been brought near. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off like Moses now have been brought near. When, 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 when God told Moses, don't you come near. And where you are, you take off your sandals. Now, because of the blood of Christ, God comes near and draws you unto himself. And guess what, beloved? I can, but I don't have to take off my shoes anymore. Why? Because I'm not wearing my own shoes. I'm wearing holy sandals. These are the sandals of Christ. I am fitted in him. And I walk on that holy ground because I walk in him. I'm wearing his holiness. When I come into the presence of God, I come in Christ. I come in his righteousness. I come in his perfection this morning. That's why I don't want you to get it twisted. No sinful man or woman is coming into the presence of God except they come in Christ. In Christ. For in Christ that mountain has been brought down. In Christ that which separated you from God has been removed and through his blood you have been brought near and therefore this morning because Christ is here I don't care where you've been I don't care what you've done you can come home come home come home Christ has provided a way for you and he is calling you this morning you can come home come home sinner Come home. Jesus is calling. He's offering him tenderly. He's calling on him. Come home. Come home. And be right.